podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. So hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are well and still enjoying the winter break and for those of you that are looking for other sources of entertainment, i.e. the World Cup for example, sadly it's not coming home and uh, at least not this time anyway and uh, as disappointing as that might sound to an Englishman like myself and of course my guest joining us as I'll introduce you in a moment. Um, some of you probably enjoyed that or maybe you're from other countries that are still in the World Cup so best of luck to you if you are one of those people but whilst there's no F1 racing going around we still have all the content coming to us at a moment's notice if we thought silly season was crazy in the driver market this summer I think the team principals may have trumped them with this one and to go through all of the latest developments I've got with me a friend of the show F1 journalist Ben Hun. Ben first of all thanks for coming on at such short notice how are you doing mate? Yeah I'm all good thanks yeah enjoy my uh, time off I'm writing a book at the moment so trying to get that done with Christmas shopping and looking after the kids and obviously writing stories about F1 which I hadn't banked on doing, to be honest, but uh, yeah, busy day. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was going to ask, obviously, you've had much time off from the F1 stories and obviously your particular role in journalism. And quite frankly, it just doesn't seem to be no end for you guys right now. Because by the time we get Christmas out of the way, when all of these stories may die down, we're back writing about F1 and the 2023 cars. It doesn't, it doesn't really stop. And I think that's one thing when people ask me a lot about, about journalism and, and getting into it. And I think, you know, I always say you've got to be prepared to work on your days off because any story can happen at any moment. And, you know, there are moments in, in my career where I've found myself filing from unique places, shall we say, um, you know, working on your phone. It never really stops. And of course, today was case in point. We knew the, um, you know, we, we knew the Ferrari news was coming, um, you know, but then there's a domino effect and everyone's got the... Uh, Press releases out before, but it's all pretty much done before 11 o'clock, I think, this morning. Yeah, crazy stuff. And of course, owing to that preparation, it does seem that the Ferrari news that you mentioned probably was uh, the catalyst or the smoking gun, if you like, that would set everything into motion. And and as it was, I think that was the one that we did expect. But there were plenty others that we probably didn't expect. And I suppose the best way to start is, as you mentioned, with Ferrari, the confirmation that Fred Vasseur is joining the team from Sauber slash Alfa Romeo, uh, starting effectively, I think, January the 9th. So around about Mm. a week after we expect Matti Bonotto to formally end his time at Ferrari. As we said, Ben, this was news that we expected for some time. Is Fred, was Fred the obvious candidate for Ferrari? Was he the best candidate for Ferrari? Um, Obvious, no, not necessarily. Um, Best, difficult to know who else to pick. Um, You know, I think Ferrari could have, made inroads perhaps and and looked at um, Seidel. That might have been one option for them, which I think would have made a lot of sense for them. Um, you know, he's done a great job at McLaren and I'm sure we'll come on to him in a minute. But, um, you know, they've, they've gone with with um, Vesseur, who's kind of a tried and tested um, team boss, you know, very successful at what he's, been, what he's done. Obviously very close with um, Leclerc, you know, that's quite an important one. You know, Ferrari do need to ensure that, that they retain, um, you know, the, the trust in the drivers. And, of course, by hiring 
um, Fred Vasseur, who has that link with with Charles, um, makes a lot of sense. Um, he's also done quite a good job at, at Sauber and Alfa Romeo. Um, is he the right man to lead forward? We, we don't know, but they, they've, they've tried different approaches in the past where, you know, Mattiacci, Arriva Bene, of course, Binotto, you know, there's been a lot of, um, you know, a lot of characters coming through the door, but um, they've gone with something different, someone from outside of Ferrari, um, which makes a little bit of sense because they haven't really tried that before. So let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can bring. Um, he certainly brings experience. Um Let's hope that he can sort out the strategic problems that they have and, and, and the operational side, because obviously that's where Ferrari have been sort of let down over the last couple of years during um, Bonotto's reign. You know, Bonotto, fantastic guy, really enjoyed talking to him and interviewing him. But ultimately, it falls on him and the failure of the team to deliver that championship comes down to him. So they needed to try something else. Why not give Fred a go? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm right in saying that this is the fifth team principal that they would have hired since they last won a world championship um, so many years ago, back in 2008, uh, the constructors, if you like, and obviously even longer for the drivers. And it's been the same old problems with Ferrari. They seem to go through cycles where they find or they stumble, not so much stumble, but they find uh, developments with their car and the team and they grow this whole Ferrari culmination of success if you like it it starts to build momentum and then it gets to a point where they're in a position where they could challenge for a title they come up short for a plethora of reasons a few which you've already mentioned with strategy and issues with development and then rather than stick to it and see where they go longer term if they do end up being successful a year or two later they do seem to still have that habit of getting rid of the man in the team principal role and then looking for a new direction at a point where you feel that it could do more harm than good having to restart again. Do you think there's a fear that Ferrari may have repeated this process by getting rid of Bonotto perhaps a year earlier than perhaps they should have done? Um, Possibly. I mean, time will tell. I, I think that, you know, under him, the culture changed in the sense that it was a much more friendlier team. It's much more open. Um, perhaps it was too nice. You know, I, I remember writing um, uh, a blog, um, you know, or, or it was my column actually, um, uh, during last season and saying that maybe he's too nice. He, he was too apologetic, trying to get on with team bosses. And, and maybe they need someone to be a little bit nastier, someone to, to be totally ruthless and also to sort those problems out because it's all very well being a nice guy and, and getting on with everyone. But you do need to have that killer um, killer nature within you um, to, 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 to execute the, the success on track. And I, I just feel that that sharp end was missing from Bonotto. Um, you know, the ability to hold people to account. He was always very apologetic for the team, which is all very well and good in certain circumstances. But ultimately, he needed to change things. And I think that, for me, the biggest disappointment was that there were no real key hires. Everyone was still the same. There was no real changes amongst the bank backroom staff. It was all very much just going through the processes. And of course, if you do have problems and you aren't delivering on track and you do have strategy problems and you do have operational problems, then surely you replace those people within the organisation or find someone better. And he just wasn't doing that. He was protecting his staff, which is obviously great on one side, but on the other side, you know, you do want to make progress and you do need to make changes. So, of course, by changing the man at the top, they hope that it changes the culture and everything else behind. I do believe that Vasseur has so much experience within motorsport, not just F1, that he will be able to draw on 
the expertise around the paddock. So I wouldn't be surprised now to see a few senior uh, personnel swapping places as well. So maybe a new head of strategy, maybe um, you know someone on an engineering side as well. So I, I foresee the, that sort of thing happening now, him getting the right people in place to hopefully drive that team forward. You'd certainly hope so. And obviously, you know, a lot have been said about Laura Meeks's role within the team. That still seems to be continuing. So at least in the immediate aftermath of Benotto's resignation uh, that we've got confirmation of, it does seem that certain personnel in that Ferrari hierarchy yeah. are still remaining. So it's not going to be a wholesale change, as no. you and I would often associate with his football fans, where usually yeah. when the manager goes, the backroom staff go with him, and it's a whole new team, a whole new way of working. And... Yeah. In your mind, Ben, do you think that's going to be quite key for Ferrari and in particular for Sir? Because we already talked about um, a few minutes ago about how important it's been for teams to continue with the, um, the the working methods that they have. And that at Ferrari, what we often get is when a new team principal comes in, there's a whole new approach. The, the script is flipped, if you like. And it takes the team a few years to kind of be accustomed to that. Maybe. I, I think that it'll be a bit quicker because I've, I've mentioned before the relationship that he has with one of the drivers and we all know um, Carlos signs to be a fairly adaptable driver anyway. So I don't think it will take that long. Um, maybe there might be a cultural difference between him and, and, and the Italians operating in the team. I don't know for sure, but maybe that will take some time, but I fully expect Ferrari to be up and running. Let's, let's not you know forget that the, the car's already been developed and it's kind of, almost ready to go. These these winter months are really just the refining process where he'll be going through operationally looking at his staff and seeing who's best where. Um, you know, that's given him a couple of months to do so. So I expect him to be flying for, from day one. Um, you know, I think that, as I say, he brings experience and, and knows how to organise a team um, on a smaller budget. So let's see what he can do now with, with Ferrari's resource and, and hopefully... Um, for all of us, we, we, we want to see them there challenging because that keeps it interesting. No matter what team you support in Formula One, what driver, if you have more teams in the mix, then it makes it more interesting for all of us. And and that's really what we want to see. So I hope he can do it. Um, he's got a couple of months to sort things out, but I do expect them to be to be flying at the start of the season. Yeah, absolutely right. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I obviously have a bias in this being a Ferrari fan on this show. And uh, a lot of people that listen to this know that quite well. Um, for me, it always seems a bit empty sometimes. I think the Austrian Grand Prix a couple of years ago where Leclerc and Vettel took themselves out of that race and the whole race was run without the Ferraris. For me, it felt a bit empty. And I know a lot of F1 fans felt the same. So I, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah, a Ferrari do need to be there and they need to be competing. Yeah, you need to have a good Ferrari team um, in a world championship for it to be a good world championship. In the same way, you need to have a good Brazilian team in a World Cup for it to be a good World Cup. It's kind of, you know, if we're going back into the football analogies again, that's really where we're at. We need to have a Ferrari team at the front fighting for wins, fighting for championships for it to be known as a really, really good season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a quick note on the upper management, because... You know, you and I both know at Ferrari that one of the biggest ailments that they've had mm. in terms of their success in the last decade and a half is the fact that upper management have perhaps been a bit too involved and that the man that has been at the helm of Ferrari on a racing front has never really held the position or the same level of autonomy, if you like, as someone like Toto Wolff and Christian Horner, who both very much have their foot in the door 
it within yeah. the company at CEO level, whereas the Ferrari team principal doesn't have that. And as we understand, Fred Vasseur will also have that issue. We talk about John Elkin, the Ferrari yeah. chairman, and Benedetta Vigna, who is the CEO of the team, and they were never really fans of Bonotto, so to speak. I mean, Bonotto was uh, a Sergio Marchionne appointment uh, before he sadly passed away. He was very much a Louis Camilleri man, as former CEO at Ferrari, before he moved on uh, following a difficult battle with COVID. Did you feel at the time that the writing was almost on the wall for Bonotto with the likes of John Elkin, who perhaps wasn't involved enough and has now completely flipped that to the point where perhaps they're a little too much involved at Ferrari, where the same problems that have um, hindered them for years are now starting to come back again? Maybe. I mean, the way that that company is set up is different to how the Mercedes F1 team is set up. The way that Red Bull is set up is that, you know, they're very separate to the Mercedes board and obviously separate to the Red Bull board. So Ferrari is part of the, the brand, part of the, the, the company, whereas the other two that you mentioned are sort of satellite companies for that one. So the structure is different. Um, you know, Ferrari and F1, you know, they do obviously go together. Um, I, I would say that, yes, the, the structures are different. What's the writing on the wall? Probably. Um, you know, I think that another year of failure, despite having built the... Um, the quickest car. I think the operationally, you know, the mistakes, the strategic mistakes, and I think that just become too much. And of course you always look from a, from a brand perspective and it was, you know, it could be viewed to be damaging to the brand. If you see a, you know, a team constantly failing to deliver, um, then it is going to put pressure on the chairman um, and those at the top to obviously turn things around and, and start delivering results because it could affect share price. I'm not saying it has done, but it could do. You know, it's the knock-on effect. Whereas if you look at Red Bull and you look at Mercedes, the way they operate is is slightly different. So, you know, can't really compare them. Um, They are separate things. Um, Writing on the wall, yes, probably. Probably right in saying so. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And and you suppose that environment at Ferrari, because of the lack of autonomy in that position compared to the likes of John Ilkin and Benedetta Vigna that are currently running uh, a mm. Formula One team, but not necessarily having that knowledge of a Formula One team. Of course, that's a separate discussion for another day. Do you think that that kind of pressure cooker environment that Ferrari have manifested since the John Todd era, perhaps being the only exception to what's going on right now and why they were so successful, arguably, do you think that sort of deterred the likes of Christian Horner and Andreas Seidel, who were rumoured to have been approached by Ferrari about taking over that role from Bonotto? Yeah, I mean, they, they would have been, you know, the sort of candidates that you'd probably be looking at if you were in charge. But then maybe you mentioned the fact that they don't have much experience in F1. If you're going to someone with plenty of experience, obviously Christian Horn has been there for, for a long time at Red Bull, but, you know, Vasseur's been in motorsport for, for donkey's years. So he is kind of bringing that that asset to them. Um, he's also kind of low, low maintenance. Um, I would imagine he'd be fairly reasonable to hire in terms of, you know, the, the expectations of what he's asking for as well. So, um, you know, it, it's an interesting one. I think that I personally wouldn't have gone for Fred, but then I know the reasons why they have, and it makes a lot of sense for them to do so. Yeah, very true. I mean, a final part on Ferrari. Um, we heard Toto Wolf uh, on the F1 Beyond the Grid podcast talking about the situation at Ferrari and Bonotto and how much pressure there can be for an Italian person yep. um, in the eyes of the Italian media and you're representing the country of Italy if you're the Ferrari boss. Fred Vasseur, the first non-Italian appointment since Jean Todd all those years ago back in the mid-90s. 
How is he going to be able to cope with that pressure being a non-Italian? Is this something that could turn out to be a blessing in disguise if he's not privy to the Italian media all the time? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. I think that the importance of being an Italian, working for an Italian team has definitely died down. Um, you know, I think that you only need to look at Italian drivers and, and the lack of actually within um, F1, um, you know, to, to, to see that it's not so important for Ferrari anymore that they haven't got a Ferrari, a, Italian driver. So I think that there's no reason why there should be this, um, you know, attitude just because he's not Italian, he's not going to be successful and the team aren't going to get behind him because I fully believe that they will. Yeah, it sounds good. And and I'm glad you're uh, quite upbeat about um, Fasseur's appointment because a lot of people that um, I've spoken to or even in the past, whilst Fred Fasseur seems a good candidate and obviously for someone like Charles Leclerc, it's a, a great character to have, not, not to suggest that there was a rift between him and Bonotto, but we saw a lot go on last season that wouldn't exactly suggest they were the best of friends. It's always going to be good for someone like him and perhaps this could be an appointment that may turn out to be better for Ferrari than others may have earlier perceived, really. I mean... A lot of people talk about the old regime, talk about the holy trinity, if you like, between Schumacher, Todd yep. and Ross Braun. Very much a contrast to what we've seen at Ferrari, and which has culminated in their most successful period. So perhaps uh, the Viser- we might need to get on this Vasseur train. Hopefully it will bring the success. I know Ferrari certainly will, but uh, if it doesn't in a few years' time, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with the same result. And, and then where do we go from there? Yeah, I mean, it's a fresh pair of eyes, isn't it? It's a fresh change. Um, you know, as I say, they've tried everything else that hasn't really worked. So why not go for something a little bit different um, and poach someone from a, from a team that understands the workings of Ferrari? You know, like, you know, he was obviously working for Alfa Romeo for, for a period of time. I know it's the Salva group, but, you know, he, he knows how Ferrari works. He now knows how it ticks. He understands the pressure as well. So I don't think he's going to get caught out by any of that. No, and I certainly hope not. So, uh, But let us know, guys, your thoughts in the comments if you're watching this pod on YouTube. Is Fred Vasseur the right man to lead Ferrari forward? And will Ferrari win a championship in his tenure? Let us know in the comments. Um, moving on to what we expected to one that I can't imagine many people certainly expected. And and it's quite convenient that this was all agreed between these three teams, if you like, Ferrari, Alfa Romeo and McLaren, which we'll get onto a little bit later on. Hence why all their announcements sort of came within, as you said, Ben, 20 minutes of each other. Yeah. Um, was Andrea Seidel's appointment at Sauber. Now, not necessarily as the, t- as the team principal, he's going to be uh, in Fred's former role as the CEO of their operations at Sauber and Alfa Romeo. This appointment, whilst it definitely surprised a lot of people, considering, of course, Ferrari were rumoured to have approached Andrew Seidel about their role at Ferrari, this seems more aligned to the Audi 2026 project rather than Sauber in the modern day. Um, with that in mind, it doesn't perhaps seem as surprising to Andrew Seidel as it may have done to the wider F1 fan base. No, exactly. I think that he's on a good project there. Um, you know, I think that he's obviously been very successful at McLaren, um, taking a lot of credit for for turning that team around. Um, obviously, you know, Sauber Group look at it and think, yeah, you know, this is our man. This is the guy who can can do the same for us. And I absolutely, hundred percent, think that he is the right man to to lead that team forward. Um, you know, great opportunity for him. You know, his family, I think, were spending still time in Germany. Um, so obviously it's closer to him, so he w- won't be compute, com- commuting as much as um, he, w- he was doing with McLaren. Um, you know, it makes a sense for, for a lot of reasons. And I, and I think that if I was working in Sauber and looking at the board and thinking, right, who are we going to get in here to, to lead this ship as part of the Audi 
project, I think that he would be number one on the list. Um, right man for me. And I think that's a great signing for them. Yeah, I agree very much so. Um, I mean, we look at a team like Sauber and Alfa Romeo, and of course that partnership's going to end fairly soon. And, and, and one at the time that whilst there may have been some level of ambition to try and turn the, the former Sauber team into potentially a race-winning unit, as it was with BMW Sauber back in 2008, it never really had that conviction. It felt a lot no. more like a branding move than anything else. And just to keep Sauber in Formula One, this time, however, with the Audi um, brand looking to try and get into Formula One, it was never going to be a manufacturer team. It may turn into one over the years that come. This one very much seems like a lot of ambition and a lot of finance and a lot of resources going to be put into this project to the point where, you know, Audi, they're, they're doing their homework right now and could be a force when they formally enter the sport in 2026. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, they've given themselves a run up, haven't they? And that's the main thing. Um, they're not coming into it with, um, you know, eyes closed, their eyes wide open and obviously giving themselves plenty of time to learn the ropes, understand it, get on top of the technical rules. Um, and as I say, if you're pointing at someone like that to oversee the operation, he, he's done it at McLaren. He knows what he's doing. He's done it at Porsche. He's done it at BMW. So he's got, you know, understanding of how um, German teams work. Um, he's achieved success. You know, he ticks so many boxes. I just think that it's an absolute um, no-brainer for them to pick uh, to pick him to run the operation. And I look forward to seeing them coming into F1. I think the only question I've got now is, is who's going to take that team principal role because he's not taken that. He's taken the, the role at the very top. So it'll be interesting to see who they bring in to run the team. Do they bring someone with um, experience, uh, with an Audi connection, someone like Alan McNish, or do, or do they bring in someone with, you know, F1 experience? Uh, McNish obviously has some, but, you know, largely running an F1 team is, is slightly different. But um, let's see. I don't know who they're going to appoint. Um, you know, thinking about it, McNish would probably be a wise choice. He, he was fairly successful working in uh, Formula E. Um I just don't know at this stage who they're going to pick. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I, I mean, I always entertain the idea since uh, it was announced this morning, thinking about this, that it would be quite interesting if Matty Bonotto found his way <laughs> over to that project. I mean, uh, we know that there's always rumours about gardening leave and stuff like that. And we know at this point in time, Matty is working with Ferrari up until his contract. Uh, well, up until the end of the year, at least, not his contract. Um yeah. So yeah, and there's He's that gardening. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, he would be he would be free to start. Um, you know, the, the the press release this morning said that they will announce it in due course. Maybe he is the guy. Maybe maybe he'll be the one to to lead their F one operation. We'll see. I mean, it would certainly be a coup for them if they. But I mean, Andrew Seidel, of course, a mega mega acquisition and admittedly, you know, from the Ferrari perspective, I thought that would be the perfect candidate for that role. But of course perhaps the lack of autonomy within that outfit that they may have promised him if they approached him was probably what swayed him away from a move like that in favour of going to somewhere like Audi where he does have that level of autonomy. And this is a promotion for Seidel as well. This is certainly not yeah. a sideways step. No, absolutely. Um, you know, he'll be very well looked after taking that role on, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And uh, that, that brings us nicely, of course, to a team that shockingly he's left behind in McLaren. Um I mean, are you surprised by that, Ben? I mean, because McLaren were very much on an upward trajectory, certainly by mm. no means the finished article, and uh, Seidel was moved from that role, returning, of course, back to a team where he started out as an engineer, of course, we should mention that. But um, yeah. it is a bit of a surprise. Yeah, but I mean, 
you know, it's not it's not surprised that he's been he's been poached, if you like. Um, you know, you think of let's go back to football, someone like Graham Potter doing really well at Brighton. And it's inevitable that a bigger club will, will look at him and obviously he goes to Chelsea and, you know, will he be a success there? Let's see. But, um, you know, ultimately, Andreas was very, very successful in a short period of time and turning around the culture within that team. You know, um, Zach Brown, super higher. You know, let, let, let's let's give him some credit because he's the guy who appointed, appointed him in the first place. Um, you know, uh, together, Brown and, and Seidel seem to work very well together. Um, you know, a great driver pairing um, this year, I think, you know, in Daniel Ricciardo, I know it didn't come off for him. Uh, and of course, sticking by Lando uh, and, and watching him perform quite well. Obviously, there's exciting times, you know, another new driver lineup again for McLaren next year. Let's see how well that that turns out. But um, I don't blame um, Andreas Seidel for leaving. I think he's gone for the right reasons. And as I said before, you know, it's an exciting project. Um, I'm just a bit disappointed for McLaren that he's left, really. You know, it's quite nice to see them making inroads and sort of getting closer to, to regular podiums. Um, of course, they've made a, a smart decision to promote within someone who already understands the workings of the business. So, you know, they're hoping that the transition isn't as bad as they, they first feared. Yeah, very much so. And, uh, you know, I do like the metaphor. Um, well, I mean, we should probably mention that, um, you know, you're not obviously suggesting that McLaren are the Brighton in this in, in this situation. Well, sure. But um, it, it feels to me that whilst this absolutely makes sense um, when you see the bigger picture, and I think that's what Andres Sider was gone for, I do wonder if this decision, whilst it wouldn't have been an easy one for him to make, has more suggestions that perhaps he may not have faith in the McLaren project, that perhaps he feels that the Audi project no, has uh, more no, I, potential. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that. I just think that it's a bigger opportunity, isn't it? You know, going to work for Audi in F1, um, I know people are going to hate this, but the, the potential there is massive when you, can, when you consider that's part of such a huge group with so much clout behind it. I know McLaren have the history, the heritage and everything else, but that the, the other project could be huge. You know, it could be massive if they get it all right, which is obviously what they're hoping to do. Mm. So I think that he's, I don't think it's a case of him not having confidence in, in McLaren because I think that that team is definitely moving forward, but it is a bigger opportunity um, for him. And obviously he's taken that CEO role, CEO role which, which Zach Brown sort of holds at, at McLaren. So, um, you know, they're kind of on equal status now. And if Zach wasn't going to go, then obviously, you know, he needed to find somewhere else to go and it makes sense for him to go to that bigger project. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, um, I suppose from the outside, it's understandable to have that concern. But perhaps this is one of those, perhaps Andrea knew for a while that he might have been approached by Audi and probably thought, you know what, McLaren's in a good place. It's got great people there. Yeah. It doesn't need me at the helm anymore. I suppose if you want to look yeah. at it with a more glass half full approach, I suppose. Yeah, I think there was an interesting bit in the press release from Zach Brown, you know, the, the final quote, um, you know, he thanked um, Seidel for his openness um, and transparency during the process. So, you know, they were fully in the loop. Um, I think that that's testament to both parties and relationship that they've built um, to trust each other. And and there was obviously no leak. You know, you mentioned before it kind of caught us out. It did kind of catch us out because we weren't really expecting it. So um, you know, that's great to see that 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 bond exists between the two of them. I just hope for McLaren's sake that they don't lose any momentum. Um, you know, it's quite a big job overseeing this this overhaul of driver lineup. Um, let's see 
how that's going to happen. Um, and, I, and I just hope that they're just a little bit more consistent next year with their performance. Absolutely. And with the improvements in the infrastructure, which should hopefully help them in 2024, at least by 2024, um, mm. there is certainly room for positivity with McLaren, despite losing such a key figure like Andreas Seidel to a potential rival over the next few years when they eventually come into Formula One. We'll have to wait and see. Moving over to McLaren to look at the positives mm -hmm. now. Um, is a rep uh, Seidel's replacement already been announced by McLaren and Zach Brown with Andrea Stella, who, by Zach Brown's admission, has a wealth of F1 experience. It's a promotion within the team from their former uh, executive director of racing to the team principal role. Um, a lot of experience for Andrea Stella, just a, a few names off the list, you know, being a performance engineer at Ferrari under with Michael Schumacher, Raikkonen, yeah. being a team principal, uh, not team principal, being a racing engineer with the likes of Raikkonen and Alonso. The man has a wealth of experience of dealing with top level drivers and world champions um, by, no, by extension. Coming into this role at McLaren, there's going to be a lot of pressure to take over from what Andreas Seidel has done at the team, you know, take over where he's left off. But having worked within that team since 2015, he's obviously been privy to a lot of that going on. It yep. does seem on the surface that this is a good role, or this is a good replacement that has been lined up by the team, and perhaps one they've known for some time. Yeah, and as I say, I think that's that's the thing for me. They had time to plan it, and I don't think that it's caught them out. You know, they knew that, that um, you know, Andreas had been... Um, sought after for, for, for the Audi Sauber project project. Um, and I think that as soon as they knew that was happening, that they were very keen to ensure that I had a, a ready made replacement. And that's exactly what they've got. You know, someone that knows the business, there won't be any, um, you know, transition period. It will just be business as usual. Things will just carry on. Um, it's just a new person in the office really, um, or, or moving offices. So I think from a, a continuity point of view, then that's, that's great for McLaren. Um, you mentioned the experience. I think that's quite key. Um, you know, Norris is now the experienced driver at 23. Um, you know, that's, I mean, that's quite, crazy. quite young. Um, <laughs> you know, so that, that's incredibly young. <laughs> but um, yeah, so let's see. Maybe he'll. Maybe maybe he is the right man to lead that that driver pairing forward. You know, um, I hope so. Um, as I mentioned, I just want to see more teams in the mix for wins, not just one or two. Uh, it would be great if we had more more fighting for wins. Yeah, very much so. And I, I'm glad you mentioned Lando Norris because, you know, as you rightly pointed out, team leader at this point at 23, has got a young, very, very high potential teammate in Oscar Piastri that has the whole world at his feet at this point. And, and given his junior career, he's obviously going to be very, very quick. Given all of these changes that are going on that I'm sure Lando Norris would have been well aware of for a little while now, is there a fear that if this doesn't work out for him in the short term, that he may be interested in looking at other teams that perhaps have a little bit more about them, the likes of Red Bull, Mercedes, who will, I'm sure, no doubt be looking at their driver lineup in the next few years and probably have Lando at the top of their list of potential replacements? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, the team started sniffing around him um, as soon as he came into F1. Um, I think that, you know, McLaren sort of dug their heels in. And if you remember, he was offered a role... Um, and then after about six months with the team, he was offered a new contract very soon after to sort of fend off interest from any other parties. Um, he has since obviously had another couple of contracts. And I think the last one was, was a multi-year deal um, that sees him pretty much tied to the team. He said that he didn't really want to go anywhere. He wanted to stay there. You know, he was he, he was trying to show his faith in the team as much as they were showing faith in him. So, you know, at the moment, it's a good relationship. 
you know, he's been close with Zach Brown for a number of years. Makes sense for him to stay there, but obviously, if the opportunity came up, at, you know, a Red Bull or a Ferrari or a Mercedes, then obviously he would have a look at it, wouldn't he? I mean, it makes sense for him to do so. Um, but I'm just hoping that he, he doesn't need to and that he has success with McLaren because it'd be a great story. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, I certainly can't wait to see it if it does turn out to uh, go that way. Um, last thing on McLaren, obviously, with Andrea Stella's appointment, whilst it's going to be a good one for McLaren, in my opinion, there's a lot of experience and know-how there within the team's workings. It's not someone fresh into the team that doesn't know what's going on there's always going to be that transition period into a role of that magnitude at McLaren and a lot of expectation that comes with that. Um, in, in Zach Brown's statement, he did mention that he's going to be excited to be working more closely with Andrea Stella with a joint focus on moving up the grid and winning races being the priority. Does that mean that you expect perhaps Zach Brown to take a more, uh, well, to be a lot more involved in the Formula One team and compared to what he's been doing when when Seidel was in charge, he kind of just left him to his own devices and ran the brand and ran the marketing, whereas now, yeah, you know, it could be different. No, I, th- I think we'll still see Zach playing a hands-on on role um, as much as what he's been doing the last couple of years. Um, he is there. He is he's ultimately the, the guy to hire and fire. Um, you know, I don't, I don't see his role changing um, at all. I think that he'll be across... All the projects that they continue to be in, um, they've announced that they're going to do another season of Extreme. Um, they're obviously going into their debut Formula E season, so I'm not sure how much involvement he'll have in that. But he is still in charge of it, so he'll have to go to a few races, no doubt. Um, and uh, of course, yeah, the, the IndyCar operation, which which he oversees as well. So you know, he's kind of busy. I don't think that he'll be taking on any more F1 operation than what he's doing at the moment. I just couldn't imagine how much that guy sleeps. I mean, he looks pretty good for someone that is as busy as he does. So, uh, yeah, best of luck to Zach on that one. I, I probably no chance of me getting him on the pod anytime soon because he's going to be a very busy man. Um, moving on to Williams, the last team that have had a bit of a shake-up, the first team actually to announce their shake-up yeah. with the departure of team boss Jos Capito and yeah. technical director F- FX Demison as well. Um, they were in the team for two years as part of this new change with Doralton Capital taking over the Williams team. Was this a surprise to you, Ben? Because Williams, mm. whilst they were looking at moving forward and perhaps handling a bit of a transition uh, following the handover from Claire Williams and obviously the late Sir Frank Williams, um, Williams had never really went forward. If anything, they, they took yeah. one step back to go too forward and ended up kind of where they've been, really, which is at the back of the grid. Yeah. I was pretty disappointed with the way that, um, you know, his his tenure at Williams fizzled out. Um, you know, he came in with that reputation. I think what I would say is that he was found out very quickly, if you like, by McLaren, who who, who had him for about six months before he was gone. Um, I just don't think that his approach worked at Williams and there were rumblings and, and a bit of discontent and, Clearly, they weren't making progress. Um, and I think the flip side of it was that, that Dalton do want to start seeing success. You know, they bought into into Williams and they want to see that team moving forward. And ultimately, let's go back to the start of the, the, the pod where we were talking about Ferrari. And if you don't deliver, then ultimately the person at the top, their head's on the block and they've got to pay, um, you know, the, the price for the failure to, to, to deliver. So um, I wasn't surprised to see him go. Um, I'm not sure who they're going to get. I think that's the biggest thing for me at the moment. Who's going to lead that that 
team forward. But I do know that they've got big plans. And Dalton put on a very big um, show in in uh, Austin this year. It was kind of a unusually Williams event, um, shall we say. But it shows you the swell of support and the passion that they have for the team and for F1 as a whole. And I think they need someone who's capable of delivering success. Um, they've obviously gone with their driver lineup for next year, one rookie and one fairly experienced in, in, in Alex. Um, I, I just don't know who's going to be the person to lead that forward. Yeah, I mean, but we I heard, think, you heard a few things mentioned. They, yeah. need, they do, they do need a big, big overhaul there. Mm, certainly do, and you know, as I said, this is a team that have lofty ambitions. You know, still running the Williams brand, so to speak, for yeah. how much longer we'll have to wait and see. But this is a team that's always been associated with winning races and world championships, the, one of the richest histories in the sport. And and again, it's a shame that they are lagging behind as much as they have been. It, it's interesting because you mentioned rightly about this. Um, contrast in, in ideas between the uh, the likes of Jos Capito and the Williams team. Um, we had quotes going from both sides um, talking about the other, really, and not necessarily in a flattering light either. We had Jos Capito at Abu Dhabi. I think one quote I remember reading saying, what are we doing now? It, it's like surgery on the open heart while the patient is running a marathon. Talking about the lack of infrastructure and the lack of top level facilities that Williams has compared to the rivals that it that it battled with for so many years that have obviously progressed over the last few decades, where Williams have not necessarily done that. And then you've got the boards suggesting that whilst they've been respectful, the opinion yeah. of the likes of Yoscapito and you know FX Diamondson, by contrast, has not been up to co with a team that has those level of ambitions. No, and I, I think both parties are right. And, and the reason that he did come to light in that race is because probably he already knew the writing was on the wall and that he had been asked to go. Um, so I think that's probably why he said it there and then. But yeah, both both are right. You know, that Williams do need to have that um, all that infrastructure in place. I believe now is the time to get it in place. But obviously, it starts at the top, and they've got to get the right hire for the right person to lead them forward. Lead them forward. But as I say, I've mentioned it before, but they do need a massive overhaul of every department in within that team to, to start moving forward. I suppose that leads me to one of my last questions on this one, Ben, and that's if you know Doriton Capital that have spent so much money on this Williams project to buy into mm-hmm. it to save it from the brink of extinction during COVID, they were really struggling financially. Yeah. Um, it almost feels right now that Doriton have to make a decision and a really long thought out one, whereas they continue to try and work with this project that they've already invested a lot of money into and will have to invest more money to see the fruits of their labours, get the right person in to see that through and actually have the quality and reliability to actually deliver on that, or potentially sell up up to a team like, or someone like Porsche, for example, who have been looking for a team since that partnership with Red Bull had broken down earlier in the season. So... Which one of the two do you think is more likely at this point in time? Yeah, I mean, there's also a story going around about a, um, there's a businessman, I think he was in Hong Kong, who's, I got an email about it, you know, would you be interested to talk to him? Um, he wants to buy buy a team and, and, and start everything up. I mean, look, there's always these characters that, that surface that want to get involved in F1, and F1's obviously super popular at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you're a business, uh, which Dalton are, you know, if they get an offer which is obviously more than what they paid for it or valued the company at or, or whatever, then you know they would probably look at look at selling it. It would make perfect sense to do so. So, um, yeah, let, let's see what happens with that. The, the fact that they haven't got anyone 
lined up at the moment, as per the, the press release yesterday, um, tells me that they are biding their time. They are seeking the, the right person to lead that team forward. So um, I just hope they get it right. Um, you know, there's no rush at the moment. Nothing's going to change over the winter as long as someone's in, in place for the first race in, in uh, Bahrain. That's all that really matters. Yeah, and, and obviously we'd heard rumours about potentially Hyundai looking to get into Formula One as well. And and right now it does seem that, you know, manufacturers like that not necessarily going to be able to put forward a manufacturer team unless they put up the cash. It may be financially better for them or more feasible to buy into a straggling team like Williams. Um, as much as we want to see an extra team on the grid, Ben, do you, uh, ben, do you think it's more likely that um, we end up seeing a team buy into someone like Williams or do we see an 11th team perhaps? Yeah, I think I think that's the easiest way to do it, isn't it? Buy something which is already ready-made. I think the, the process that, that uh, Haas went through was labour-intensive and costly and took a little while. And, you know, I think that that's most unlikely, um, you know, which is why it's surprised to see Andretti insisting on going down this route of, of wanting to come in as their own entity. I mean, I applaud that and, and I like the idea of, of starting from scratch, but it really is a massive job. And of course, the difficulty you've got is getting the other 10 teams to agree to um, to them having less prize money, because ultimately that's what the argument is. You know, the prize pot stays the same, but they're receiving less because there's an extra team on the grid. So um, purely from a selfish point of view, they don't really like that idea. Um, and I understand why, you know, they've got shareholders and bills to pay, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, I don't know. Let's see. Um, I just think that it's an easier if I was starting a business, it would be easier to do it that way, um, you know, to buy into F1 in a, a ready-made outfit. Um, you know, it would make more sense that way. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it was something that I remember hearing Gunther Steiner talk quite um, passionately about, really, how F1 as a brand wasn't really worth much in real terms um, a couple of years ago during the COVID period. But now it's so lucrative. Everybody wants a piece of the pie. But, you know, it's yeah. not as simple as just bringing a team in the other teams obviously not going to allow that they want to protect their assets in that regard um one final question just for a little bit of fun if you were in charge at williams ben who would yeah. you like to see in the team i've heard a few names like jensen button was one that was thrown about Susie wolf mm -hmm. you know that, that former venturi boss and yeah. obviously toto wolf's wife a lot of experience there um anyone in particular that might strike your fancy if you were the boss there yeah, that was that was. Um, I, I'd heard um, both of those as well. Do you know what? I've not really given it much thought, to be honest. Um, you know, I I don't honestly know. I don't know whether they'd look for someone outside of the championship. I don't know. Looking at, um, you know, I don't know Formula E or something else. I, I really don't know. I wouldn't know where <laughs> to start with my my approach um, at Williams. Who I'd be looking at? Maybe in a you know Formula Two team or or something. But um, something that definitely needs to change. Um, don't know, you've caught me there. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> you could always have a bit of fun with it. Um, bringing back the football yeah. analogies once more, if we like. Uh, if Gareth Southgate's had enough of being the England manager, maybe he fancies <laughs> a go at Formula One. <laughs> He's too nice. <laughs> yeah, Formula One would chew him up and spit him out. I mean, I love yeah. Gareth Southgate. I wouldn't want to see that happen to him because uh, no. it can be very stressful at the best of times. Yeah. No, I, I don't know who, who Williams are going to go for. Um, I don't know who they're going to pick. Honestly, I'm racking my brains here, but um, I don't know. I think that's it, because it's, it's not an obviously easy job or tempting for someone. I, I know no, we joke and talk no, I mean, about, I mean, you know. I mean, obviously, Jensen Button does have that link with the, with the team already. Um, you know, he's some sort of 
development stroke coach role um, and, and some nostalgia as well. But I just don't think that he would be willing, um, you know, to, to, to do the, the 24 races. I think that, you know, his family and everything's based in LA. It makes sense for him to stay out there. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he would commit to that. Um, would Susie Wolf do it? Yes, she would do it. Could she do a good job? Yeah, she could. Mm. And it would certainly be interesting. I mean, we haven't had a, a female team principal for a while, have we, since Claire left. Um, and before that, it was Manisha, so uh, Salba. So, um, yeah, that'd be quite quite fun to see her in there. And going head-to-head with Toto would be quite fun, wouldn't it? Oh, God, that would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Bring that back. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get Williams back to where they were around about 2014, 2015 times, <laughs> fight with Mercedes, and, uh, yeah, we'll see how that one goes. It might be even spicier than Christian versus Toto. We'll just have a, <laughs> yeah, battle of, uh, well, can't think of an appropriate name for it, but we, we'll leave that to the imagination of yeah. our uh, listeners but uh, no that was uh, fantastic Ben thanks as always for coming on no um, over the winter break obviously you're quite a busy man yourself um, yeah. uh, anything in particular that you're going to be up to other than obviously no. spending time with the family and other projects time with the family uh, the old F1 story um, do a bit of football um, and then I will be I'm also writing a book on Lando Norris as well so um, quite a bit bit going on but um, yeah keeping busy um, not so, certainly not doing nothing. Yeah, definitely. And uh, of course, you know, when your book is formally published, we'd love to have you back yeah. on to talk about that. Sure. We're happy to plug that. And I'm certainly looking forward to reading it as well, because yeah. that, uh, Here we go. that's going to be an exciting read. But, I've got uh, to finish it first. <laughs> yeah, well, we had been talking off, off air about that a little bit. So obviously I don't want to bother mm. you too much because I know you're obviously going to be yeah. busy trying to keep to your deadlines and all of that. So, uh, But we appreciate you coming on nonetheless. And uh, Guys, of course, as always, you know, check Ben's socials out for more great F1 news and content. Always up to date with the latest, as uh, all top journalists are. And uh, we'll leave those in the show notes and on the YouTube channel if you're watching this as well. And you know what to do, guys. Give us a five-star review on your favourite podcast and platform for a shout-out on the next episode. And like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And, of course, we did a great episode with Craig Scarborough. Uh, the other day on the new F1 technical regs, how they're faring up and how they'll do for 2023. Actually, that reminds me, quick question, Ben. Um, oh, I say, I'm glad you didn't get me on for that one. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll ask you um, just a quick one on that one before we round this cool. all off. Um, 2022 regs, a lot of people will talk about them, whether they were a success or not in terms of uh, the racing itself. What did you make of them? Are you a fan of them? What, you mean last year or the new regs coming in? Well, the last year's ones, preferably, from what we've seen. Um, I didn't mind last year. I thought last year was was okay. Um, I think I, I'm one of those freaky people who actually quite like the sprint race. Um, you know, I know lots of people don't like them, but um, I quite like the mixed format. Mm. Um, I think the racing sometimes a little bit dull, but I like the fact that it mixes things up and it does away with a practice session, which no one needs in their life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the best justification for them. And they are warming to me, but I just feel like well, if we had six sprint races at Brazil, I think everyone would be on board with them. But yeah. uh, there you go. <laughs> if we had six races, sorry, if we had 24 races at Brazil, we'd all be on board, wouldn't we? I mean, mm. it's such a fantastic racetrack. I've said it before, but if we could move that around the world, then it would be an absolutely fantastic championship for, 
unfortunately, we have to go to Spain and we have to go to uh, Yasmarina. Oh, I was worried you were going to say Mexico there. They've got such a great <laughs> fan base and you wouldn't want to isolate them because it's not their fault that their track has become rather dull in terms of uh, the racing. As a spectacle, it's fantastic, but uh, can't be helped sometimes. But no, that's, that's great stuff, Ben. And as always, thanks for coming on the show. But guys, no that's all we've got time for on this one. Absolute crazy stuff going on. And at this point in recording, we don't know who's going to be in charge at Williams. Perhaps by the time this goes out on Wednesday morning, we may get some news. We'll have to wait and see. But until next time, guys, please stay safe. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy your holiday season, whatever you are doing. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And as always, remember one thing. If you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Podcast Network.